I'm your host, Misha Yusuf. This is Tell Them I Am. Speaking of Yusuf, guys, I've been waiting to tell this one. So Yusuf is a prophet. He has a whole chapter in the Quran dedicated to him. You may know him as Joseph. Yusuf's parents are having a really hard time having a kid. They've already had a bunch, but they want another. Problem is, they're really old, which in biblical times was probably like 25. Anyway, when Yusuf is born, they're ecstatic. They feel like it's a miracle. But Yusuf has 12 older brothers, and they are not ecstatic. What makes this sibling rivalry even worse is that Yusuf has these dreams about the future, and he interprets these dreams to predict the future. This makes his brothers so jealous that they hatch a plot to literally get rid of him. So Yusuf and his brothers all go out together. But when it comes time for them to kill him, they chicken out. So instead of murdering him, they throw him into a well. (gasps) And leave him there. Yusuf is eventually rescued, but after a series of biblical misadventures, he ends up in prison. I know, guy can't catch a break. Fortunately, by the time he's in prison, the pharaoh, yes, the pharaoh, has heard about Yusuf's dream skills and summons him to help. The pharaoh's like, dude, I'm having this crazy dream and I don't understand it. Yusuf listens. And he's like, yeah, that's a fucked up dream. It means Egypt has a drought coming, and we need to prepare for that. The pharaoh is so impressed that he puts Yusuf in command of all of the country's grain, which is a big freaking deal. Yusuf is second in command only to the pharaoh. Guys, the boy who was once at the bottom of the well dreams his way to the literal top. And then, when the drought comes, so does an unlikely surprise. Yusuf's brothers come to Egypt to get some grain for their family. And they realize that the person in charge of the grain, the person second in command to Pharaoh, is their brother. The brother they threw into the well. In that moment, when his brothers are looking at him, Yusuf has power over them. He can have them killed if he wants to. But Yusuf also has a choice. He doesn't turn them away. He tells them who he is, gives them grain, and invites them to live with him. My name's Halima, and I'm mostly known for being the first hijab-wearing high-fashion model. Right now, I'm currently living in Minnesota, but before that, I was actually born and raised in one of the largest refugee camps in Kenya named Kakuma. So I was pretty much a popular kid. I had a lot of friends from all different walks of life. And the really beautiful thing about Kakuma is early on, I got to immerse myself with different cultures and so many friends from so many different walks of life. I had Ethiopian friends, South Sudanese friends, just friends from all over Africa that, you know, found themselves living in a life in a refugee camp, just like my family did. 
there was this one girl, and she was South Sudanese. And she and I just could not get along to save my life. We just could not get along. And I was about six years old. And my mom was always like, you know, one day you guys are going to be best friends because you guys bicker all the time. I had a sharp tongue. <laughs> um, I had a very smart mouth. And I remember it must have been something that I started because she was, you know, never the aggressor. It was very much me doing all the talking and then sis just, she, she snapped. One day she had enough and she had to show me. Homegirl jumped on me, pulled me by my braids. Sis started from the head and worked her way down. I'm telling you, she started with my hair and then pushed me to the ground, sat on me and basically gave me the best ass whooping of the century. <laughs> It wasn't too like bad, but it was still kind of bad. Enough to scare me to be like, okay, I'm never gonna call her anything. <laughs> and sure enough, after that fight, after that fight, we were friends. Like she was one of my closest friends in the refugee camp after that one fight. And so I was like, okay, wow, it really just took her whooping my ass one time for us to click. And so I just always had that in the back of my mind. I was seven years old when we moved to America. Even though the vetting process took my family such a long time, that's when we got our name on the board. There's this billboard in Kakuma that has the names of the families that are selected for resettling. And my family's name was on there one day, and it, it said that we were going to America. And so when I heard America, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be filthy rich. I was going around the camp promising all types of gifts to the kids. I was like, I won't forget about you. I got you, sis. As soon as I get there, I'm going to send you money. As children, you would hear America and you would just instantly think, oh my goodness, that's where all the rich people live. Life in America is so wonderful. And so we left the camp and at age seven, nobody explained to me that we were moving across the continent, across the globe to this place called St. Louis, Missouri. When we landed, St. Louis, Missouri, I was like, Mom, this is the real refugee camp. We were good back home. Let's go back. I miss my friends. The school that I went to was very impoverished. The neighborhood we lived in was very, very poor. Lots of gunfights that you would hear at night. And it was my first time ever hearing gunshots. And so that was very scary to live through. And then my mom was like, OK, we heard news from Minnesota. There's like a small population of Somali people who already settled there. The schools are much better. And so we're going to move. So she moved the entire family from St. Louis, Missouri to St. Cloud, Minnesota. There weren't that many Somali families at that point in St. Cloud, Minnesota. So we were still kind of like five families that went to the school. It was hard because the kids, it was mostly white kids at the school, and they would always tease me about not having hair because I wear the hijab. Um, they would tease me for my accent. I wish I could go back because I would have told little Johnny, wait a minute now, I'm learning my third language, English. You know, simultaneously also going to Arabic school on Saturday, Sunday. So why are you making fun of me? You know, I'm trying here. Imagine how hard it was to go from being the popular kid at Kakuma to being bullied in a brand new country. So Halima thought, I have to do something about this. 
I would always complain to the teachers, the substitute teachers. So and so pulled my hijab off. So and so called me this name, and they would always kind of. I didn't see the kids who did that to me get punished. And you know what? Saint Cloud, it's very known for being racist. In fact, they call it White Cloud. So it wasn't really a shock that you know I was going through that because. The kids, you know, see and hear things from home, and then they have a certain view of the Somali kids that are just trying to assimilate, just trying to find their new life here. It's not like I asked for the cards that I was dealt. It was fate that my family even made it out of that refugee camp into Minnesota, and they had no clue all the hardships that we endured to even get to that point. These kids around Halima, they've grown up in Saint Cloud. All they see when they see Halima is different. Not the dreams and resilience that brought her to that little elementary school. And so my feelings were just festering and multiplying as the years went on. And finally, this one girl who kept picking on me for like two years straight, I just had had enough. And I was like, I'm going to give her a taste of her own medicine. And you know what? My first fight, we ended up being friends. So I'm sure the same is gonna happen here, right? Right. And so it, we got back from recess. She made some really cruel comments about me not having hair. And so I, after we were coming back from recess in the hallway, right before we were going to class, I actually jumped on her and yanked her hair. And then she was, of course, like trying to fight back too. And then I think another two Somali girls must have seen us bickering, and they try to, you know, stop the fight. But a couple slaps were thrown in there on my behalf <laughs> because, you know, once we kind of worked in groups, we were like, okay, we have each other, so we're always gonna have each other's back. One of the teachers had come out and pulled us apart. And after he came in, I was like, I snapped out of it. I was like, "What am I doing? Instant regret!" Because I knew I was gonna get in trouble, and I was so scared because that was my first ever, you know, physical altercation, at least since moving from the camp. And so I didn't know what was gonna happen next. And then I was, you know, sent to the principal's office where they sat me down and told me that, "Hey, you're gonna be suspended for a week." That was devastating for me. Coming home to my mom, who had absolutely zero clue what I was going through at school, she never knew about the bullying. I didn't want to disappoint her. I didn't want her to feel like, you know, any stress on my behalf. And so I just wanted her to know that I was trying. I was trying to get good grades. And so, to be punished on both ends by my teachers, and then also be punished at home. That was like, wow! I'm really caught between two difficult worlds, and I didn't know how to navigate, and I didn't know why I was in trouble because nothing happened to the kids that were bullying me. That was the most disappointed my mom has ever been in me, because she was so confused. She's like, I've been sending you to school, and just randomly you get into a fight as a fifth grader. You know, I never told her what I was dealing with and how hard it was just to show up at school. So in that moment when she's at home, suspended and punished by her mom, she has this realization. You know, I can't win by being physical. I can't win by being mean. So I just worked harder. She starts to have bigger dreams 
and she gets more and more disciplined to accomplish those dreams. So I focused heavily on getting good grades. I stayed after school. I stayed back from recess, doing really well in school. And actually in fifth grade, I also won the St. Cloud oratorical speech competition. I got a gold medal. And it was just such a, a delight to see my bullies not getting the same recognition, not getting the teacher's love the way that I was getting it. And so I figured at that age, fifth grade, the key to success, you know, beat them at their own game by be just being you, being authentic, being kind. That was the way forward. And Halima's story doesn't just end with winning in fifth grade. She keeps going. She becomes homecoming queen. It never happened in my town before, probably even the state. And so that was kind of a big deal to the other Somali students and younger girls were coming up to me and saying how they were so much, you know, just more confident and more able to be themselves now that they've seen somebody like me win homecoming queen. But she still doesn't stop. Her dreams and her drive get bigger and keep her going. She takes that lesson she learned in elementary school and she channels her hurt and her anger into her success. She becomes Miss Minnesota. She ends up on the covers of magazines. Vogue, Allure, Sports Illustrated. Little old me came to this country just a few years ago and now I'm taking home the big prize. Like, wow, I'm so proud of myself, yay! Seeing my mom disappointed and confused and hurt, I couldn't afford to act out. Like that was enough for me to want to, you know, turn the page and do something completely different. Tell Them I Am is presented by Higher Ground Audio and Spotify and produced by Dustlight Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Misha Youssef. The executive producers at Higher Ground Audio are Dan Fearman, Mukta Mohan, and Anna Holmes. Janae Maribel is editorial assistant. From Dustlight Productions, Mary Knopf is our executive producer. Ariana Gharib Lee and Jonathan Shiflett are our producers. Arwen Nix is our editor. Valeria Alarcone is our apprentice. This episode was written by me, Valeria Alarcone, Mary Knopf, and Arwen Nix. It was sound designed by Valeria Alarcone and Mary Knopf. Valentina Rivera is our engineer. David Leinert is our composer and made our gorgeous original music. Emin Ahmed is our illustrator and the creator of our episodic art. Elizabeth Goodspeed made our amazing series tile art. Special thanks to Rachel Garcia, our development and operations coordinator. From Spotify, executive producers are Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, and Courtney Holt. This podcast was originally a production of LAS Studios.